our heads before God and still our hearts for a few moments. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Anyone who expects a good and perfect gift from man is going to be disappointed. But if our expectation is from, from the Lord, He can use any channel, but ultimately our expectation is from Him. We will never be disappointed. So let's still our hearts for a few moments and say, Lord, I want to hear you speak to my heart. I want to receive what you want to give me. My heart is open to you. I'm hungry, I'm needy, I'm thirsty. And I open my mouth wide. I open my heart wide. I want you to fill it in these days. Whatever limitation there may be in man, Lord, bypass all that and come and meet the need of my heart. Heavenly Father, we pray the Holy Spirit will rest upon us, not only on me as I speak, but on all the people here who are listening, that the Spirit of God will be upon us. Holy Spirit of God, we open ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, you are the risen Lord in our midst. Anoint us, give us a word that will liberate us, draw us closer to you. Hear us and answer us, Heavenly Father. We seek you. We know it is your good pleasure. To bless us and we come to you in faith. It is your good pleasure to give us the kingdom. It it is your will that we should be free. It's not your will that anybody here should be in bondage to anything. We believe that, Lord. Do a work in these days in our midst. We trust you. We wait on you. We pray for the spirit of prophecy in every meeting. Your name will be glorified. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We trust you. With all of our hearts, we trust you. Be glorified in our midst. We worship you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. Okay, we are going to begin. First of all, Let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 32, 31 first. Jesus said to those who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So that is 
our theme for this conference and we don't want to just get a lot lot of good messages but we want to actually become free and uh, i don't know what you are in bondage to at the moment but the devil's got all types of bondages lined up for people and many of god's people are in bondage and they should not be in bondage it's not god's will see first of all you must believe one thing that it is not the will of god for you to be bound by anything one of the greatest events that took place in the old testament which god asked the israelites to commemorate every year in the passover was their liberation from slavery in egypt you know what the passover was the passover was the celebration of the liberation from slavery in egypt and they had to celebrate it every year with the slaying of a lamb and it was that celebration that jesus turned into the breaking of bread when he met with the disciples on that passover night because that passover was finally fulfilled the next morning when jesus was crucified on the cross so if you link the crucifixion of christ back to the old testament passover what are we supposed to celebrate through the death and resurrection of christ liberation from slavery if you had gone to any of the israelites in those 1500 years when they celebrated the passover in fact the lord told them when you celebrate the passover the head of the table the father would sit and he would uh, celebrate the passover the lamb etc and his son was supposed to ask him dad what does this mean it was a ritual every time the son had to ask him and every year the father had to tell the son so that it would go on from generation to generation and they'd never forget it what that they were not supposed to be slaves that when they were slaves the almighty hand of god came and liberated them that's what we are supposed to be celebrating through the death and resurrection of christ and from that i believe that there is not a single thing that's supposed to bind me i'm not supposed to be a slave to people's opinions to the law to sin to the world to the love of money to nothing i'm not even supposed to be a slave to myself a slave to trying to create impressions on others there are 101 things that we can be slaves to and if we can understand this first of all it is not the will of god that you dear brother sister even if you were converted this morning it's not the will of god that you should be enslaved to anything at all not to the devil nothing and yet when i look around i see the vast majority of believers 
bound. What shall we say is the reason for this? According to this verse, they don't know the truth. That's it. Or they know partially the truth. For example, many of you are not enslaved to the fear that you might go to hell when you die. Right? How did you get out of that fear? Because you knew one part of the truth. That Christ died for your sins, paid the punishment and you're free. Do you see what that truth did to you? Do you see how that truth completely liberated you from the fear that you would go to hell when you die? Do you know multitudes of people in the world don't know what will happen when they die? But you know, how did you get liberated? Because you understood a small segment of truth. What a difference it has made to your life compared to all the other people in the world. Can you imagine what will happen to you if you understand more and more of truth and understand the whole spectrum of truth? Uh, if you studied light, you know that white light has got seven colors. It's called a spectrum, which you see in the rainbow. Now, if you take one of those colors, that's right, that's a part of white light. But it's not all. It's not all. You've got to get the whole spectrum to get white light. I remember seeing a picture of something that is in a museum in one place where they put plants under different colors light. You know how plants grow in the sunlight? Well, they put these plants under different colors of the rainbow in a laboratory. Different, different colors. To see how much these plants will grow if they are put in different colored lights. And they gave the same fertilizer, the same water, the same thing. And they found a tremendous difference. Some plants were this much. Very small because they didn't have the full spectrum of white light. They got just one side. Maybe green. Maybe red. That's all in white. All these colors are in white. Yellow, orange, everything is there. But if you take only one of them and put the plant under that, it grows one-tenth or less of what it grows out there in the full bright sunlight. And I think that's a correct picture of the condition of many Christians. They've got one segment of truth and they're growing. But their growth is nothing compared to what it could be if they understood the whole segment of truth. And if the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of people who don't believe, you can be pretty sure that He has also blinded the minds of a lot of believers that they don't believe some more, which will set them a little more free. The truth will set you free completely. Many of you probably have a problem, those who have been believers for a long time, how shall I overcome and be free from spiritual pride? Which I have a battle with, particularly when I see all the carnality and Christianity around me and the dead state of other churches and how wonderfully and richly God has blessed me and given me understanding and truth. How can I remain humble with all this fantastic experience and knowledge and victory? Does God want a person to be enslaved by spiritual pride? Not at all. If you know the whole segment of truth, 
you will never be spiritually proud even when you're the greatest overcomer in the world. And even if God uses you more than everybody else, you'll still be humble. Nobody was used like Jesus. And yet he was the humblest man that walked on the earth. Nobody was used like Moses in his time. And without the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God, without fellowship, without conferences, that man 3,500 years ago was the humblest man on the face of the earth. It's possible. Everything is possible by the grace of God. But you've got to understand the truth. And now I want to say one more thing, which I've been stressing these days. David said in Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart, so that I might not sin against thee. That's verse 9 or 11. Uh, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Now there's a lot of difference between receiving truth in the head you know who's got the maximum amount of truth in the head? The devil. And he's completely bound. He's not free. And if you get truth in your head, no matter even if you get all the truth, you'll still be a slave. But when you get it in your heart, if your heart is hungry, you don't want to just study. You know, most people study the scriptures either to get more understanding so that they can talk about the Bible with others or to get more honor or to preach sermons. Now I'll tell you this. If you study the Bible to preach sermons, you'll be a slave all your life. Any of you got that habit? Get rid of it. Don't be like these Bible college people. Study the Bible to become a pastor or to become a, a sermon preacher. Do you think Jesus studied the Bible to ser- preach sermons? Do you think Peter studied the Bible to preach sermons? No. You stop studying the Bible to preach sermons. Say, Lord, I want to study the scriptures so that it sinks into my heart and I know the truth that sets me free even if I never preach another sermon in my life. I say that to God. I couldn't care less if I don't preach another sermon in my life. I want truth. I want all of God's truth in my heart. And when it's in my heart, I can speak from my heart. It'll go to your heart. If I cram it all up in my head, I'll speak from my head and it'll go to your head. This is the reason why so much of ministry in many churches is going from head to head and people are not being set free from sin. So, I hope you will understand the difference between understanding what I'm saying. That's easy. If you've got a clever mind, you can understand it. You can grasp it. You can probably go home and even preach it. But if you want to get it in your heart, you don't have to be clever up here. You have to have a hunger and a thirst and a terrific sense of need. Lord, I am a needy man. I have come here as a needy man and I am hungry for your truth. That man will get it in his heart. That woman will get it in her heart. The rest will get it in their heads like they've got it for 30 years and say, that was a wonderful conference, and go away and live the same old life that they have lived all these years. That choice is yours. He can't stop that. Even Jesus can't stop it. Jesus said about the good ground are those who receive it with a good heart. You know that Jesus said that in Luke 8? Not a good mind. The good ground where the seed is sown is those who receive with a good heart. I believe this is the big mistake that perhaps some of us have made. We thought all we need 
when we sit in a meeting is to be alert. I shouldn't be sleepy. I must be listening carefully. I must take down my notes. All that is good. But it has only got as far as your mind. And that's why year after year after year, there doesn't seem to be much change in your life. What you need is a hunger and a thirst and a terrific sense of need. Lord, I am the needy person sitting here. I mean, if I can find someone here who feels, Lord, among all the people sitting here, I feel I am the most needy. Brother, sister, you're going to get the maximum from God. It's like that. God satisfies the hungry and the rich. He sends empty away. That's what the Bible says. He satisfies the hungry soul with good things. And he sends the rich empty away. Let me show you Psalm 103. Psalm 103 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Verse 2, Psalm 103. He forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. He redeems us from hell. Wonderful truths. He crowns us with love and mercy. He wraps us up with goodness. He satisfies your years. Verse 5, with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now, I've discovered one thing as I've grown older, that I can't do anything about the outward decaying of my physical body. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, the outward man decays. You can't do anything about it. It, it is gradually perishing. We can't live forever. Doctors say we sort of reach our peak when we are around 25. And all of you who are over 25, you are downhill. Please remember that. And um, by the time you get to my age, you realize that you can't do much about the body. But I'll tell you the good news. Your spirit can be the spirit of a young man all your life. I believe mine is. I believe my real age is around 25 or something. I feel like that anyway. Because it says, your youth is renewed like the eagles. Yeah, I want to see how many young people have a passionate devotion for Jesus. I'd like, you, I'd like to challenge you in that race. See who's, I mean, 100 meters you may beat me, but in this matter of a passionate devotion to Jesus, that's what it means to have your youth, to have... Your soul set on fire with a love for God and a love for others and a passionate desire to build the church and the kingdom of God on earth. That's what a young man should have. I want to be young all my life in my spirit. It says here, He renews your youth like the eagles. Now, I don't know what the eagle does to renew its youth, but I suppose there's some type of thing the eagle does to keep young and it lives a long, long, long time. But like you see in that picture behind me, when the eagle is in a cage, what's the use of it being an eagle? That's worse than a worm. A worm outside the cage is better than an eagle inside a cage. So it's no use boasting, God's made me an eagle. He's made me one with Christ. Wonderful. But 
I hope you're not in a cage that the devil's put you in. The truth will set you free so that your youth, the youthfulness of your spirit, will be renewed year by year. I hope you'll see me younger next year than you see me right now. That's my goal. I want to get younger and younger in my spirit because it says your youth will be renewed like the eagles. He does it. He does it. And I have faith for it. Just like I have faith for verse 3, that He forgives all my sins. I have faith for that. And I have faith that He will renew me like the eagles. He'll satisfy all my years with good things. My brothers and sisters, God is a good God. And we must believe that. This is His will for you. That you should be like the eagle that flies in the air. That's God's will for you. Now I want to show you in um, Ezekiel. Turn to Ezekiel, please. And, you know, Ezekiel had a vision of the future kingdom from chapter 40 onwards. About the, That's the picture of the New Testament church. But in chapter 1, in his vision, he was in Babylon and God gave him a vision of how his glory had departed. And one of the visions he saw in Ezekiel chapter 1 was Ezekiel chapter 1 he says he saw verse 4 there was a great cloud with fire and inside that verse 5 were figures resembling four faces and four wings now this is all picture language but I want you to understand this picture language it says here in verse 10 the form of their faces each one of these had the face of a man, the face of a lion, the face of a bull, and the face of an eagle. These are the four faces. They symbolize four aspects of our Christian life. First of all, we are to have the face of a man, which is an attitude of compassion and uh, goodness towards others. The tender face of a man. Not the fierce face of animals. Tender face. You know, when a man's face is so much gentler compared to all the other three. That's why I believe that that's the first thing we need to see. A gentle, merciful attitude towards others. And if your face is not like that, pray that God will give you a face like that. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 or chapter 7, that the wisdom lights up a man's face. And your face can be gentle and compassionate uh, towards your children. You hard-working mothers, when your children irritate you, ask you for a face like this. And all of us, when we work with people who are hard and difficult to get along with. And then it says, the other is the face of a lion. <clears throat> and that's another thing that we must have. Our attitude to the devil and to sin and to all evil is the face of a lion. It's a picture of dignity and authority. I'm not going to crawl before the devil like a worm and say, oh, please, don't, don't trouble me. No! I'm going to be like a lion before Satan so that he's going to flee with his tail between his legs because I'm in Christ. That's the second position I need to have. My face towards the devil must be that of a lion. Of a lion. When I proclaim God's word, Anywhere, my face must be like the face of a lion. Not all the time, 
When I deal with people individually, it must be the face of a man. But I must also have the face of a lion if I am to stand against God. And all of you who proclaim God's word, when you want to liberate people from the captivity of Satan, you've got to have the face of a lion towards the devil. You don't hate the people, but you see the devil's grip, so many of them. And I believe Jesus had the face of a lion when he confronted people who were in the grip of the devil. The third thing is the face of a bull or an ox. And that is a picture, you know, oxen were used for two things in the Old Testament. Sacrifice and service. You know, like bullock carts and plowing the fields. So the ox symbolizes, the bull symbolizes sacrifice and service. And I'm ready for both. I say, Lord, I don't expect to have a comfortable life on earth. I expect my entire life till the last day I on earth to be a life of sacrifice and service to other people. If I'm a servant of God, I'm a servant of all men. And that's the trouble with a lot of Christian leaders and pastors. Why the grace of God departs from them is because they want to be servants of God, but they are not servants of all men. We must have the face of a bull. And that is to serve and serve. Have you seen these bullock carts? I mean, we, if we were in the villages, we'd have seen the bulls plowing the fields. But here at least we can see the bullock carts. And I see the face of those bulls sometimes as they pull those bullock carts. They've done it for years. And they just plod along. They get whipped and they go this way and that way and the other way. Service, service, service. They get up next morning. What do they think they are? They think, oh, today is going to be a relaxed day for us. Oh no, which bull gets up in the morning even on a Sunday and thinks, oh, today I'll have a holiday. There's no holiday. Perhaps more work on a Sunday. That's how it is to serve the Lord. Are you willing? And in the Old Testament, you never knew. One day the master will take that bull and lay it on the altar and say, okay, today, goodbye to you. I've got to sacrifice you. Thank you for all the service you gave me for the last 20 years. Now, I've got to kill you. Is that the way they reward me after all these 20 years of service? Okay. The bull says, fine. Are you willing for that? Are you willing to be a sacrifice for the Lord? After years and years and years and years of service, to live with the spirit of sacrifice every day, and the spirit of service every day. That's the meaning of the bull. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. If ever you think, aha, I'm a senior brother now, I don't have a sacrifice like I did in the old days, brother, forget it. You're not fit to serve the Lord. If you want to serve the Lord, you must have the face of a bull till the end of your life. Spirit of sacrifice. And the fourth one is the face of an eagle, it says. The face of an eagle. And that's the thing I want to mention. That's the eagle that's not in a cage. That's the eagle that's up in the air. And it's a picture of resurrection life lived in the heavenlies. Where a person is living in the kingdom of heaven. Not on earth. The man and the lion and the bull all live on the earth. But the eagle has gone past the earth. And the reason God chooses the picture of the eagle is because the eagle flies higher than all the other birds. The other birds just can't get anywhere near. It, 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 it's got its nest so high. An eagle won't come and put its nest on these trees in your compound or anything. No, 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 no. That's for small birds like crows and all that. Eagle is way up, it looks for you. You hardly ever see one around here. You know why? Because you don't have any high rocks here. That's why you don't see eagles. 
an eagle wants to make a nest, it looks for a huge rock, high one, because it's the king of the birds. And it's, it's, picture of, it's a picture of one that's completely free. You can't put a mountain in front of an eagle and say, oh, I'm going to stop you with this mountain. It just flies over the mountain. You can't put a river in front of an eagle and say, I'm going to stop you with a river. It just flies over the river. You know, that's how God wants you to be. That the devil and human beings can never put an obstacle in your path and say, I'm going to stop you. You can't stop me, brother. You can't stop me, Satan. I've got a life inside me which lifts me up above the things of earth. And I just fly right over it. You can't get me discouraged drooping down in the ground. Discouragement is like that eagle inside the cage. I see believers sometimes. They're flapping their wings. They praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. With inside a cage. What's the use of that? When you flap your wings Sunday morning to praise the Lord, just ask yourself, are you doing that inside a cage? Or up at 10,000 feet up in the air. That's where we're supposed to be. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things of earth. That's the way we're supposed to live the Christian life. It doesn't mean we don't take care of earthly things. I'll tell you this. The more I have set my mind on heavenly things, I've been better able to take care of my earthly responsibilities. My financial responsibilities, my bank account, my uh, looking out of my children when they were at home, taking care of my home. Everything does goes better and smoother when our mind is set on the things above. That's the way we're supposed to be. Like eagles. That's the way we're supposed to be. It's a picture of resurrection life. You know, when God created man, He made him on the same day as the animals. You've heard me say that. On the first part of the sixth day, He made the animals. The evening and the morning were the first day. Those days, the day started at sunset and finished at sunrise, uh, next sunset. It is not like us from zero to twenty-four. It was from 6 p.m. in the evening to 6 p.m. next day. So the evening was the first part of the day God made the animals. And the morning, which is the second part of the sixth day, God made man. And he made man on the same day as the animals to teach him that it's very easy for you to sink to the level of an animal if you're not careful. That was the message why he created man and animals on the same day. You know, you look inside the animals and their heart and liver and kidney and everything is more or less like, an, like a human being. Okay. Um, but then, he did something to man which made him completely different from the animals and even higher than the angels. He breathed into him. Now, a lot of people, they say, when God said, let us make man in our image, not a lot of people, some crazy people say this, that when... God made man in his image. It says as if God had eyes and ears. And I, w- I want to tell you the good news that God doesn't have eyes and ears like us. Jesus has when he took a body like ours, but God the Father doesn't. Because in that case, the animals are also like God. No. What is it that made man in God's image different from the animals? Not two eyes and two ears. Because the dogs and cats have got that. They are not in God's Im- image. It is the fact that God breathed into him something called a spirit. That made him a living soul with the capacity to receive God's life. See, like this table has no capacity to receive electricity. You put electricity through this table, nothing happens. 
But you elect, put electricity through a tube light. Oh, it burns. It's got the capacity or a, through a filament in a bulb. It burns. Unlike the table. So animals don't have the capacity, like this table doesn't have the capacity to receive electricity. Animals don't have the capacity to receive God's light. But when God made man, he made him with a capacity to receive God's light. That's what you, that's what makes you and us different from the animals. And that life is always pulling man upwards. Upward, just like the life of the eagle. But he had this earthly part of his, which kept him on the ground. And Satan, when he tempted Eve, he tempted her to respond to this earthly part and ignore the heavenly part. And I want to tell you something. Every temptation that comes to you from the time of Genesis 3 onward, that the devil has tempted man, is always this temptation. Ignore the heavenly part of you. Respond, respond to the earthly part. The earthly part of you wants to lust. The earthly part of you wants to accumulate money. The earthly part of you wants something, good food and comfortable life and respond to that, respond to that. You keep on responding to that for 20 years. You come and sit in CFC for 20 years and respond to this for 20 years. You know what you'll be at the end of 20 years? A thoroughly earthly human being with a lot of knowledge of spiritual things stacked in your brain making you think you're spiritual when you're not spiritual at all. You're spir Another fellow who's got probably 20% of your knowledge may be more spiritual than you because he spent 20 years responding to the heavenly part of him, calling him upwards. So you know, you are what you are today. You can't suddenly become spiritual tomorrow. I'm sorry to disappoint you with that. You can't become spiritual. There's no button you press or experience you get here that suddenly you'll go away from the conference of spiritual man. But you can start. You can start on that road and five years from now, five years from now, if you're faithful, you'll be soaring like the eagle. What does the Bible say in Isaiah 40 and verse 31? Isaiah 40, 31, it says, Those who wait upon the Lord will gain, I would like to put it like this, another type of strength, another type of power, which it is impossible to get humanly speaking. It's called resurrection power. Those who wait upon the Lord will get this new power and automatically they will start mounting up with wings like eagles. Spiritually speaking, they will run and run and run and run and run and run and never get tired. They will walk and walk and walk and walk and walk with Jesus and never become weary. How many of you got weary about walking with Jesus? <laughs> it was not the real Jesus. You walk with the real Jesus, you never get weary. It gets exciting, more and more exciting. As time goes by, as you walk with Jesus, you run with Him, run the race, walk with Him, you never get weary. You know what it means to walk with Jesus? I'll give you one example. 
when you are watching a television program and something comes on that screen which Jesus would not see and Jesus gets up and walks away you walk with Jesus walk away that's what it means to walk with Jesus you got it when you're reading a book or a newspaper or a magazine and there's something there which Jesus would not read he gets up and walks away you walk with Jesus walk away from that okay i hope you learned something at least this morning to walk with Jesus you'll never get weary why do you get so weary because when Jesus walks away you're still sitting there reading that thing watching that thing no wonder you're tired and exhausted and the devil knocks you down left right and center walk with Jesus walk with him when you're tempted to speak that angry word to your husband or your wife because he or she did something terribly stupid and of course you never did anything stupid in your whole life so then what do you do and jesus walks away from there saying i don't want to hear what you're going to say now excuse me i'm going you walk away with him walk away with him that's what it means to walk with jesus i want to do that more and more i've learned to walk with jesus you will not grow weary you will mount up with wings but you got to wait on the lord it doesn't happen overnight it's those who wait upon the lord they wait they wait they know god will do it they say lord i can't do it i can't sort of try and spring up and fly i can't do it i can't produce wings and try and fly you got to do it you who created the eagle you can do that in my spirit and make me fly like the eagle and break every prison door that's tied me up set me free you must believe this is god's will what i'm trying to do is try and create faith in your heart from god's word that this is god's will for you for every single one of you when god created man in his image he put something within him which could lift him up to the heavenlies but adam and eve rejected that and chose the earthly something to satisfy their stomach something to satisfy their tongue mainly something earthly just like the animals look for something to satisfy their tongue and their stomach that's why jesus also had to be tempted with food because he had to be tempted like us tempted with earthly things and he rejected it he rejected everything earthly he he was offered the glory of the world he said no i live by that principle which God created man with and that's why Jesus lived like an eagle all the time and that's why Adam and his descendants are earth bound see this verse in 1 Corinthians 15 where 1 Corinthians 15 it says here is verse 47 it's talking about Adam and Jesus Christ 1 Corinthians 15:47 The first man is from the earth earthy The second man is from heaven Got it That's clear Adam was made from the earth earthy and he lived for the earth The second man came from heaven he had an earthly body but he lived from heaven Now listen to this verse 48 As is the earthy 
so also are those who are earthy. And all the descendants of Adam behave just like him. They are interested in earthly things, right from the time they are children. But as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. That means when we get really connected to Jesus Christ and get rid of all the things that hinder that connection, I can become a heavenly person like him. And, listen to this encouraging word. That's a great encouragement, verse 49. Exactly as we bore the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. You know what that means? That means, you know how it was in the old days, dear friends, how wonderfully I bore the image of the earthy. I was angry, bitter, unforgiving, earthly minded, loving money, fighting, quarreling for the smallest thing. Didn't I bear the image of the earthy in a wonderful way? Exactly like Adam? Yes or no? We all did it. If you don't believe it, go and ask your parents how, how you behaved when you were a child. We bore it exactly, in exactly the same way as the Holy Spirit transforms my inner being into the likeness of Christ. I will bear the image of the heavenly. I got my Adamic nature from another. Yes or no? Did you produce it yourself? Or did you get it from somewhere else? Your sinful nature. You got it from another person. From your parents. Ultimately from Adam. I did not produce my sinful nature. I was born with it. I got it from another. And the mistake we make is, we think we can produce the heavenly nature. No, you have to get it from another. And exactly like the first person gave you a perfect earthly sinful nature, which you manifested wonderfully in sin, in the same way, this heavenly person can give you his nature, which also you can manifest. You have to receive it. You can't produce it. The big mistake that many Christians who have heard the message of holiness make is they deviate into Hinduism and other religions where they think we have got to work and produce it. And they hear something in the message in the Sunday morning. Ah, I'm going to practice that from now on. You hear in the Sunday meeting that your, you must, your tongue must be a little more controlled as a Christian. Ah. One more topic for my self-improvement program. Tomorrow onwards, I'm going to control my tongue. Then another day you hear about not loving the world so much. Another point in your self-improvement program, I'm not going to love the world so much. Okay, look back over your self-improvement program. How has it succeeded after all these years? You got your sinful nature from another. You got your get your heavenly nature from another too. You didn't produce your sinful nature. And you can't produce the divine nature. You have to wait on the Lord. You have to receive it. You've got to humble yourself and say, Lord, you've got to do it in me. You have to write your laws in my heart. You have to write your law in my mind. You have to do it. I'm not going to live under the old covenant where thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not struggle and fail. I want to be like the eagle. Do you think the eagle struggles to fly? 
even an aeroplane struggles to fly. How many yards it has to run before it takes off. But look at the eagle. It just takes off. It doesn't need a runway. It doesn't need anything. There's no effort in it. Because it's nature. An aeroplane is going against nature. It's fighting against gravity. It's got so many things it's got to do. But not a bird. Not a bird. Just flies up effortlessly. And I see sometimes these birds, you know, just one flap of the wing. And they go on and on and on and on. It's like amazing. I say, Lord, I really want to be like that. I really want to be like that. I want all of my life to be like that. And the Bible says, if I wait on the Lord, it will be like that. It will be like that better and better as the days go by. That is, when man sunk into this wretched, earthly, sinful nature, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That means his body was made of the same dust that your body and mine is made of. That's all it means. There was no sin in it. The likeness was there, but there was no sin in that body. He was sinless. He had no sinful nature. He was born of the Holy Spirit. But tempted like us, in every point, overcame, and he died, and then he rose again. That is the most important truth in the New Testament. Not that Christ died for our sins, but that he rose again. And I want to tell you something, my brothers and sisters. Let me show it to you from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is one of those books you don't read much, but there's some wonderful truths there. And I want to show you a beautiful truth from Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14. This is speaking about how a leper can be cleansed. How can a leper be cleansed? And you know, all that is in the Old Testament is a picture of what is fulfilled in the New Testament and that leprosy is one of the clearest pictures of sin in the Old Testament. And that's why the Lord said to the Israelites every leper must be put outside the camp. Every sinner must be put outside heaven. Outside the camp of God's people. That's why Paul told the Corinthian church put that man who is living in sin Outside the church. Let him get a taste of what it is to be in hell. The church should be like a taste of heaven if it's a good church. Put him out. So that he realizes that sin is a terrible thing. And when, when he repents, bring him back. So the leper was put outside the camp. Because he's a picture of a sinner who still got sin. Who doesn't want to give up his sin. But then in the Old Testament, it speaks of a leper who was cleansed. That, there you see the reason why Jesus went outside the camp and put his arm around the lepers, touched them, said, God loves you, heal them. Wonderful. So here is the law for the cleansing of the leper. And you need to understand it applying to yourself. This verse 2 shall be the law of the leper in the day that he is cleansed. He shall be brought to the priest. And the priest is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get some crazy idea, this is some pastor or elder brother or something like that. No. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to go directly to Jesus. He's the priest appointed by the Father. And the priest goes and looks at him outside the camp. Do you know that Jesus was crucified outside the camp? Outside Jerusalem? 
because he was bearing the sin of the world. He couldn't be crucified inside the city, outside the camp. And it's the Bible says, let us also go outside the camp of this world bearing his reproach. So the priest goes outside the camp and looks. And if the infection of leprosy has been healed, that can happen. Then, here is what the priest has to do. He gives orders to take two live, clean birds and some cedar wood and a scarlet string. Scarlet means a red string. The red string is to symbolize the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood. Like Rahab the harlot tied a red string outside her window to identify her as one of the houses not to be destroyed in Jericho. So here, a red string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. And the priest, now listen, you've got to read this carefully. This is beautiful. This is a picture of death and resurrection. I mean, how could you show death and resurrection in the Old Testament? After you kill a bird, how can you resurrect it? So the Lord said, take two birds. I'll show you death and resurrection in the Old Testament. The Lord was teaching them. First, kill one bird. And uh, once it is killed, take the living bird, verse 6, and dip it with the scarlet string into the blood of the dead bird. And what do you do with the living bird now? Verse 7, last part. Let the living bird go free in the open field. This, they couldn't understand it then. But this is what it, it's so clear to us. It's a picture of Jesus killed, coming out of the grave and he's up and gone into heaven. And, but the living bird has got the blood of the dead bird on it. And Jesus has the mark of the cross on his body today for all eternity. You know, if you've got scars and wounds in your body, in your resurrection body, they'll all disappear. Peter was crucified like Jesus, but he won't have holes in his hands, in his new body. When you get to heaven, you'll discover that the only person who has holes in his hands and a hole in his side will be our Savior. Like we sing in that song, when, I, when my life's work is ended and I cross the swelling tide and I reach the shores of eternity, I want to see my friends, of course, but I want to see my Savior, first of all. And I shall know Him, even though I've never seen Him physically, I shall know Him, I shall know Him by the print of the nails in His hand. I look for people's hands and I'll identify Jesus immediately. He's the only one who's got the nails, Prince. The living bird has got the mark of the blood and rises up. It's not, it's not like the dead bird. Now here are two birds. Both picture Jesus. One is crucified and the other is with the mark of the cross risen. And I want to say most Christians are concentrating on this dead bird. Their picture is on the cross. They think the greatest Christian life you can live is meditating on the cross. 
and see how he lived. The principle of the cross. How he lived that life of self-denial and uh, giving up his rights and despised and afflicted and suffering and uh, not retaliating. All that is involved in the cross. And many of us have fixed our eyes so much on this that we have missed the central thing of the New Testament. To see this living bird with the mark of the cross but no longer dead. You have often heard me say this. What are the four or five most famous paintings of Jesus that you have seen? I'll tell you the five most famous paintings of Jesus I've seen. One is like a helpless baby in the stable Christmas time. Notice in all five he is helpless. That's what I want you to notice. A helpless baby. The second one I've seen is in Gethsemane kneeling down with his helpless look. The third is hanging helplessly on the cross. And the fourth is you know this sacred heart where Jesus looks like a woman. Uh, I will bless every home where you put this picture of mine. He's so helpless. He doesn't look as if he can help me in my problems in my home by looking at that picture. And then the fifth one I've seen is Jesus standing at the door with a lamp with this pathetic look. I'm standing in the rain. Please open the door. Have you ever seen a picture of the open tomb and Jesus coming out risen? No. Maybe in some Bible story book. Have you ever seen that painted and hung up? No. The devil doesn't want you to see that. He always wants you to concentrate on this helpless, effeminate, womanly Jesus who's like a helpless baby or hanging on the cross or this pathetic look. What a work the devil has done. And even if we don't keep pictures of Jesus, that is the image in our mind. And we think that is the most spiritual thing to do. To be despised and rejected and uh, deny myself and let people trample over me. If I'm like a doormat and people walk up and down over me, I just bow down, I'm like Jesus. Jesus was not like a doormat. No. He never retaliated. He never took revenge. People could spit on him. But he was not a doormat. He was a man with authority and dignity. That's why we need to see this risen Jesus. We need to turn our eyes away and see the risen Jesus and say like the apostles, we are witnesses of his resurrection. You take a concordance and look through the Acts of the Apostles and see how many times they said, we are witnesses of his crucifixion, not even once. And see how many times they said, we are witnesses of his resurrection. That's what they were witnesses of. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses all over the earth. Witnesses to what? Alas! Christianity has been more a witness to the crucifixion than the resurrection. And that is why we have so many non-Christian people, non-Christian people saying we can also follow Jesus. And they also, in many religions, they have a respect for Jesus, how he was kind and didn't retaliate and, you know, forgive your enemies and this, that and the other. But which religion tells about the resurrection from the dead? 
and a conquering of Satan and an imparting of that power to us today. That is what the devil doesn't want us to know. The truth. Because he knows that will set you free. And he does not want you to be free. He wants you to be bound. My brothers and sisters, will you pray in these days that you will know the resurrected Christ. The one who has risen triumphant over death, sin, hell, the devil, over every earthly problem, who's got all things under his feet and who has become the head of his body, the church. It's a wonderful message. And if I wait on the Lord for the Lord, now you understood it all in your head, right? Now pray that it will sink 12 inches into your heart. Lord, I've got it in my head now, but I'm waiting on you that this truth will grip my heart so much that it will change my entire way of life from today onwards. It will change my ministry. It will change my life. It will change my home life. It will change my attitude towards the future. It will change my attitude towards earthly things. And I will be a heavenly minded man living on this earth. Because this resurrection power is available to me. That's the wonderful news of the New Testament. This, notice what it says. Once this bird has gone up, it says here that you got to take this blood and put it on this leper. That's the wonderful thing. You know, this blood is there and he shall take this and, verse 7, sprinkle seven times. Seven is the number of perfection in the Bible. That means the perfect cleansing for this leper and you can pronounce him clean. And once he's cleansed, the living bird is let go into the air and it's as if the leper is told, you wretched leper who are living outside the camp, now you can be like that bird flying in the sky. What a message! And in order for that to be fulfilled, there was one more thing to be done. Now he says he can enter the camp. In the last part of verse 8, he can enter the camp. He can become a part of God's people. But then one more thing to be done. This cleansing of the blood is not enough. On the eighth day, verse 10, you got to take a little flour mixed with oil. And the priest who pronounces this leper clean shall bring this man before the tent of meeting. And he must take this oil and he'll kill a lamb. And he'll put the blood on, verse 14, on his right ear, on the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. That is, his whole body, head to foot, is cleansed in the blood of Jesus. And then, this is the wonderful part, he'll take some oil, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit, and pour it in his left palm and put the oil on top of the blood. You know, here and the ear and the thumb and the toe, head to foot. The Holy Spirit has come in, born again by the Holy Spirit. That's not all. Here's the best part of it. And then, verse 18, the rest of the oil, he's got to pour it on the head. He's got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wonderful, verse 14. You know, earlier on, that is how Aaron, the high priest, was anointed. The oil was poured upon his head and this wretched leper can have the same baptism in the Holy Spirit 
that his high priest had. This is the message of the Bible. That then he can be like that bird that flies in the air. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 16 to 18, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Like the eagle that flies out of the cage, set free. The Bible, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to set the captives free, to open the prison doors. That's what he was anointed to do. And that's what he wants to do for you and me. So let's bow before God now. <clears throat> While our heads are bowed in prayer, I want you to be still for a moment. Whether you understood the message or not, the secondary. Do you have a hunger, a thirst for this life? Are you sick and tired of the earthy way of life? Do you want the image of the heavenly? Then say, Lord, I've decided to wait on you. I can't get it from man, but I can get it from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness. That means He doesn't change His mind. What He promised 2,000 years ago, He'll do today. There's no variableness. He'll do it for you. The promise is unto you and to your children. Just come to Him with an empty heart and a hungry heart and say, God, I want your best in my life. And I'm willing to pay any price. I'm ready for sacrifice or service, anything. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and make me like the eagle in the sky. Do it, Lord. However long it takes, I will not give up till I'm a free person. Thank you, Father. There's no partiality with you. What you've done for others, you'll do for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.